Welcome everyone today. We're so glad that you're with us. And as soon as I find my notes here, we can begin to get into God's Word. Again, we're so grateful for those that have joined us online. I know that many of you are still wrestling with decisions about whether to come here physically or whether to watch online. And we are endeavoring to do things to help you feel comfortable. We want to encourage you to the extent that we're allowed to and the extent that you are comfortable to come and be part of the body because there's something different when you're here. And uh, also encourage those of you that may be watching online, make, make sure that you use it as part of a church service. I mentioned this earlier, but I've talked to people that, you know, were, were pull it on their phone while they're doing some recreational activity. That's not coming to church. And the danger is we begin to get comfortable having church as kind of a, a part of our lives on Sunday morning instead of the center of our lives on Sunday morning. It's a very subtle difference, but it's a very critical difference. There's an enemy working to separate the church right now, and we need to abide by the law as much as we can. We have to recognize that his work, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, uh, is to separate us and keep us separated because of how desperately we need one another, and especially in this day and age. Praise the Lord. All right. Praise God. Let's get into God's Word today. We've already prayed over it. We're talking about, uh, a few weeks ago, we began a series on, on a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're living in a time when everything that looks like it's been a source of stability to us seems to be shaken. Institutions that we've trusted in, whether it was our job or whether it is our medical profession, and these are people that are dedicated. They want to do the best they can. And most sincere medical people, whether they're practicing physicians or whether they're actually doing research, will recognize and, and, and admit to you that they, don't, that they need help beyond themselves. And that's why it's so important that we pray for them that to have that, have that help and that wisdom and that guidance. But, but there's limits on what they can do. And, and we're so used to trusting in, in our, the medical profession, the scientists, and, and that they're going to ultimately come up with an answer. And, and, and what it does is it keeps us from trusting in the only one who can ultimately come up with the answer, who is ultimately the answer. So these are times when there's, things are being shaken for us to wake up and realize where we really are, what's really going on in my life. So if I find myself shaken, and I've gone through days where I felt shaken, then I, it tells me what I've been building my life, my trust in. Because when my trust is in the God of all creation, the God who established this universe, the God who will be here when all this is done, then my life is not shaken. So, and again, I go through days, but when I have a, a time when I feel shaken, I know what that means, so I know what to go back to. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that today. And... Um, so, we're talking about overcoming. The Bible says about a hundred times, I didn't count them all, but I've researched, I've looked at other people that have, about a hundred times, it talks about overcoming. In the last book of the Bible, it talks, uh, every church that Jesus had a letter written to, he ends by saying, he who overcomes, there's a certain promise. And he, in Re Revelation chapter 12, it talks about overcoming uh, overcoming by, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and the loving not our life to the death. We sang a little bit about that today. So the point is, there's things to overcome. And obviously in this world we're living in right now, there are obvious things that we have to overcome. Our church, to just to, just to meet, we have to overcome things we didn't have to overcome before. 
And in the process of living your life and the journey of your life and, and living out what God has put you here to do, when we're constantly facing things to overcome, we can become weary because we get our eyes on what it is we've got to overcome again. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having trusted God and believed God for something, and then you've watched God answer that prayer, and it turns around, now there's another problem you've got to believe Him for. And it's almost like, oh, I've got to do this all over again, oh my goodness, as if, as if that's not supposed to be a way of life. And we're going to begin to talk a little bit about that. So overcoming is not an option if we're going to live this life and please our Lord and finish our course and finish it with joy. Overcoming is something, this is why Satan works so hard to throw obstacles at us, obstacles, the things to overcome, because he's trying to wear you down and get us discouraged. And this is another reason why we need each other so much. So what are these obstacles? We took at them, looked at them before, but the most basic one is we're living in a fallen world. We're living in a world that is controlled by and under the authority of Satan, who is known as the God of this world. And I'm not going to go back and, and show you the scriptures that verify that, but that's clearly where we're stated. And when you're saved, when you come to Christ, you are taken out of that kingdom, Colossians 1.13, and you're transferred over into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So you are in God's kingdom, but you, God's kingdom right now is positioned, the body of Christ is located in a world that's under the dominion of the enemy of our God and of our Lord. And so we are here to help God bring His kingdom, kingdom's influence into this fallen world, which means we're already automatically going upstream. And we use that example of being in a boat that's going where the natural flow is downstream and what we're called to do is to go to a destination which requires us to row upstream. So we began to talk about, all right, how do we overcome? And we talked, last time I spoke with you, which was two weeks ago, we talked about one of the ways that the concepts that's changed my life and is still changing it. And, and it takes some time to really get this saturated into our thinking is all the times, and it's, it's over 300 sometimes, that the Bible talks about in the New Testament about being in Christ, not with Him, but in Him. If you are a Christian, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. When you gave your life to Christ, when you invited Him into your life, you didn't join a church, you didn't join a movement, you didn't have Him come to be with you, he came to live in you. And you were joined to Him. You are in Christ. And the challenge of our life is we're still living our lives as if we're with Him or around Him or in His vicinity and we're not living our life as if we are actually in Him. And why is that important going through these challenges? Because He has promised us that He has overcome this world. He's already overcome every obstacle that can come at us, at you and me, and at the church. So what we need to do is make sure that we're living our lives in Him who's already overcome. And I used the example last time of last year, about this time we went to England, and to get there we had to get into an, into an airplane. 
And because we were in the airplane, the airplane could take us places we could not go in ourselves. The airplane could overcome the force of gravity, which we could not do in our own strength. The airplane could take us to 40,000 feet with 76 degrees below zero temperature, which we could never survive in or get to, but we could go through those things comfortably, sleep through them, have a nice meal through them, and arrive at our destination safe because we were in the airplane. So Jesus uses this term in John 15, if you abide in me, go through John 14, 15, and 16, and just look at the times he talks about abide. The word abide means to dwell in. It means to dwell in, to live in him. And you all know what that's like because you have some place, your abode at home, whether it's a house or an apartment, you're living in that. that you, when you're in there, you're in there. And you're in it whether you're awake or you're asleep. When I slept last night, I was not only in my house, I was in my bed, whether I was conscious of it or not. So if you're born again, you are in Christ. The problem is we don't live our lives aware that we're in Christ. We don't live our lives with a confidence that we're in Christ. And we learn to do that by faith. Jesus has overcome the world and our adversary. 1 John 4, verse 4. He is the one who overcame, and the one who overcame is living in us. I think they've got that up there. You are of God, little children. So he's talking to us, to believers, and you have overcome them. That's the, and he's talking about the them are the spirits of the Antichrist, which is what's loose in the world today. Because he who is in you, he who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. So many Christians talk about how the devil's doing this and the devil's doing that, and we get up intimidated every day by what the devil's doing. You don't realize who's in you. I'm reading a book I've been reading a number of times, going over and over again by E.W. Kenyon in his presence. And there he said, God challenged him one day. He says, you forget who lives in you. The one who lives in you is all-powerful, and you live your life as if I were just as strong as you are, as if I were weak. So when we realize the reality of who it is that's living in you, and what He can do, and what He has done, and what He's doing for you every day that we take for granted and we don't give Him credit for. Every breath you breathe comes from Him. Every beat of your heart comes from Him. Everything we have has come from Him. And we look at these situations, oh, gosh, that's, that's impossible. That can never happen. And God's inside of you saying, but nothing's impossible to me. Nothing's impossible to me. I created the heavens and the earth with my words. I parted a sea and put two million people across on dry land. And when they got across, their enemy tried to come back, and I swallowed them up. They saw the mightiest army on the face of the earth swallowed up in front of them when they were helpless. And he's in us crying out, will you give me a chance? All things are possible to him who believes. Well, pastor, I believe. Yeah, but that's not belief in our head. It's belief in our heart. But you see, that takes work. It takes work to get it the 18 inches from my head into my heart because it takes meditation. It takes speaking the Word, speaking the Word to myself, thinking about the Word, talking about the Word. But we spend so much time talking about what are the, what, what's, the, what's the COVID rate today or how many people have died today or, or what's the quarantine rate. We talk about all these things so much. 
And we think about all these things so much. We're meditating on what's going on in the world. We're meditating on the obstacles we're here to overcome. Instead of meditating on the one who lives in us, who's already overcome them. Yeah, that's good preaching, Pastor. Keep doing it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever's born of God, that's us, overcomes the world. Say, I don't feel like an overcomer. Here's the answer. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So although we're living in somebody and someone's living in us that's already overcome every obstacle the enemy puts in your path and in the path of the church, although he's living in us and we're living in him, in order for it to operate in our lives, it requires our faith, not his faith. And there's a great example in the Old Testament of what I'm talking about, what Jesus talks about, about abiding in Him and being safe in Him. And it's this. There came a time on the earth when the, world, the people got so corrupt, God said, that's it, I'm going to destroy them and I'm going to start over again. And He found one righteous family and Noah was the father of that family. And God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to... I'm, he told Noah to build an ark, to build a boat, and because and, it was going to rain, and, and I don't have to go into the whole story because we won't have time, but it never rained before. So Noah had to be obedient, and that's another message for another day, to do something that made no sense to him. And when he was done, people, I'm sure while he was building it, you know, there, there are jokes and things out there about Noah, crazy Noah building an ark, because nobody understood what he was going to do. He said, well, it's going to flood, there's going to come a flood, it's going to rain. Well, what's rain? Because it hadn't rained yet everything was watered by a mist that rose every day. And for a hundred years, he had to do something that made no sense. He had to do it by faith, because he couldn't see the, fl- he couldn't see the clouds gathering, he couldn't sense the tension, ab- atmospheric pressure, he, couldn't, he had to simply do it because God said to do it. And then there came the day when God said, it's time to take you, your family, and the animals, and get in side the ark and then close the door but God wasn't excluding the other people they could have come but they didn't believe that it could ever rain they didn't believe that destruction could come on their lives and we looked at a scripture last time about they were eating and drinking they were living their lives just as we were eating and drinking and living our lives until the beginning of March of this year when everything suddenly changed, suddenly changed. And so those that were obedient and got in the ark, God took them through the storm. He took them through the rain. He took them through the flood. He took them through it safely because they were in the ark that was designed by God to prosper and to save, to float above and over the storm. And the ark is a type of Christ. When you're in Christ, see, if they, if, if they were, if they had, the, I don't think there were windows in it. That's probably a good idea because they would have stuck their head out the window and gotten wet. So if you stick your head out of Christ, you're going to get wet. If you stick any part of you out, you're going to get wet. So there's a perfect example. So if you're born again, you're in Christ, but you're living your life as if you're on the deck. 
You're living your life as if you're not. You're trying to handle the storms of life on your own. Oh, we may pray, we may read our word, but you don't believe that you're really in Christ. And when you begin to really believe it, it changes how you see circumstances. But that doesn't happen because you come to church on Sunday morning. It doesn't hurt. It helps. It doesn't happen just because you come on Wednesday night or watch on Wednesday night. It comes because you take time to take this truth and begin to build it in your consciousness. And as you begin to meditate on these scriptures, begin to meditate on those words, begin to meditate on that, and then you begin to apply it in your life. Wait a minute. If I'm facing this obstacle, if I don't know what to do in this situation and I need wisdom, or if I need a house, or if I need a new job, or if I need, and I'm looking at this in my own resources, I'm seeing myself as if I'm not in Christ. Can Christ provide for this? Can Christ handle this? Is this something He could get me through? Then if He can get me through it, and He's in me and I'm in Him, then I can get through it. So I'll begin to talk as if I'm going to get through this. I'll begin to talk as if I have what I need. I'll begin to talk the way He would talk, because I'm now in Him. And as you begin to meditate on that, it becomes more real to you. You begin to think like He thinks. You begin to talk like He talks. And then you begin to get the results that He had. So the first way to overcome is faith in our union with Christ. Second way to overcome, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written to, to Jewish believers that were going through something somewhat similar to what we're going through now. They had been dispersed out of Israel by persecution. And so they were, they were in other parts of the world, mainly Asia Minor at the time. And as because they got away from the mother church and because they were not attending church because they were, they were under, under terrible persecution, they began to drift back into their old ways of doing things and see here's part of the danger of what we're going through right now. If we don't intentionally stay connected to one another, especially through church, there is a natural tendency to begin to drift back into our lifestyle that we had even before we came to Christ. Very subtly, these attitudes begin to keep entry. We start taking things that casually that used to be very determined and committed to. Satan's very subtle about the way he woos us into a sleepiness to kind of let go of things that we were very determined to hold on to before. And that's what this letter was written to them about. They were drifting back into their old Jewish practices under the law and believing that to be a Christian you had to practice the law of the sacrifices and those holidays and those festivals as well as faith in Christ. So the beginning of this book is a, is a continual comparison of Christ to angels, Christ to the priest's system, Christ to, to, the, to the tabernacle, Christ to different things that they had under the old law to show that He is superior to those and what their relationship is to Him today. And now at this point in chapter 10, he's come down to the, the differences. They have an access to God that they would not have had before. Under the old temple system, under the old system in the Old Testament, the only one that could go into the presence of God in the inner holy of holies was the high priest on the day of atonement, having done all the right rule, followed all the right rules and regulations. But now that way has been made open to us through the high priest, which is Christ. 
So having said that, he's going to encourage them about something. Let us hold... So we're talking about the second way to overcome. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. Three things in there. What we're told to do is to hold fast to what? To our confession. Hold fast to it. If you're told to hold fast to something, someone's trying to take it away from us. If you're told to hold fast to this, that means there's an enemy out there trying to get us to loosen our grasp and let it go. But what is it we're to hold on to? Isn't that interesting? Hold on to the, the confession of our hope. So what we're going to talk about for a few moments is what this hope is. But notice, it's our confession of this hope that's important. See, we can have a hope, we can believe certain things, but what are you saying? Does it line up with what you believe? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what your heart's full of, record your conversation for a day. We have the means now with our phones and things. Just record your conversation for a while because we don't realize what we're saying. The casual things we're saying. But, oh, they're just casual things. No, Jesus said in the day of judgment, we'll be judged for every idle word we say. Not every swear word. Every idle word. Words we just don't think about. We just speak them out because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So during this challenging time, whatever is the thing you're having to overcome right now, what are you saying? What are you saying about it? What are you saying about the hope that we have set before us? What are you talking about the most? I encourage you, try it. either record it or have somebody else listen to you and point out to you every time you talk about something that's not consistent with this hope. See, well, I don't feel very much hope. Well, what are you talking about? Whatever you're feeling right now, besides tired or hungry, but I mean, whatever you're feeling right now, whether you're feeling afraid or discouraged, it's un- undoubtedly that's what you've been talking about. I have to catch myself because I was late. Said, well, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Well, that's not helping. I mean, I may be tired, but the more I talk about it, the more I... In fact, I learned this principle a long time ago. The more you talk about something, the bigger it becomes to your, in your mind. The more you talk about something, the bigger it becomes in your mind. See, meditation is just talking to yourself. It's taking God's Word and talking to yourself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things because I'm in Christ and my strength comes because I'm in Him. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So you begin to speak scriptures to yourself. You begin to talk God's word to yourself. Or just basic truths like God loves me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Begin to talk about that. Don't even give God, don't even give God equal time with the world. We should be going far above that. So hold on to your, hold fast to your confession of hope without wavering because he who promised God is faithful. So one of the major things we have to overcome is this time gap between when we get saved and when we go home to be with Him. 
And the reason there's a time gap is we're here because there are other people Jesus wants to reach. There are other things He wants to do through His body here on the earth, and that's you and me. So let's go on and, and read what He says to us there. And let us consider one another. That means let's be conscious of one another, be aware of one another, in order to stir up love and good works. The word stir up there means provoke. To provoke one another to love and good works. Notice how much we need one another here. Verse 25, Not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together, so much more as you see the day approaching. Now what's happened in the church today, here to some degree and in other churches too, is we have taken our privilege of coming to church for granted. There's a book, Pastor Michael referred to it a few Sundays ago, a number of Sundays ago now, uh, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. It's a very good, powerful book on what the church is. And he wrote that book out of the experience of leading the underground church at a time during Nazi Germany, when, and he ended up giving his life, uh, not exactly for that reason, he ended up giving his life, he was eventually arrested and put in a concentration camp. But he had to very carefully analyze what is the church and what is its purpose, especially going through a time. So they had to meet, under, they had, it was an underground church, it was illegal. There was a state church, but then there was the real church, which met underground. And he had to, he led that church and had to lead the pastors that were in those churches. So he had to work through these kinds of issues. And one of the things he says in there, when I first read it years ago, it's like, I didn't quite get it. But the more I've read it, the more I could see it. He said, we have to understand that grace means the privilege we have of being able to come together as the body. It's a privilege, and we've taken that for granted. There are many believers around the world that don't have that privilege today. Even now, we don't have the fullness of that privilege today because we don't recognize how much we need one another. Years ago, when Lafayette Scales was here for a set of meetings, this just came out of me as I was closing a service, and I've said it a number of times since then, we're going to come to a point where all we'll have is Jesus in each other. And we may be getting there. We may be getting there. Well, well, Pastor, what do you do now when we have these rules and regulations? I'm not saying, I'm not saying violate the rules and regulations. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but don't allow these obstacles to become an excuse for not doing what this says. Because this is the wisdom of God of what we need. We need one another. We need to be able to come together. And we're working on a plan to facilitate some of you that are... are uh, we're just working on a plan. It's just some of these changes have made it more complicated. Uh, but we're working on some things. So anyway, so don't allow whatever we're going through right now to become an excuse. I'm, saying, I'm not saying there aren't times when it's not safe. I understand that. But we can go from uh, it's not safe to, well, it's not convenient, to, well, uh, why would I go there anyway? Those, that progression can happen without us really un- be understanding it or believing it. All right, let's move on. But exhorting one another, which is what I'm doing now, so much more as you see the day approaching. So we need each other to encourage each other. And even when we can't come together physically like this, we have other ways of communicating with one another. Phone, text, uh, uh, emails, ways of keeping in touch with one another. And especially prayer. Now, the next section of Scriptures, which is verse 26 to 31... He warns them about the dangers of quitting. We're not going to take the time to go through that. But they are serious warnings. 
See, I think we, we, we think that, that these decisions we're making about, about, about being committed to Christ, the decisions we're making about meditating on the Word, the decisions are optional. They're not optional. Remember the, the example of the stream going down. Because if I just start relaxing and coasting, I'm going to float downstream. But remember what's at the other end of the stream is destruction. And we're going to read where he talks about that here. And I, I don't want to get into, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. I won't get into what I believe the scriptures say about that right now. Because that's opening another whole bunch of issues, which we don't have time to get into today. I'm just saying there's a warning in here, and there are several warnings in Hebrews about not slipping back. About, and this is, remember, this is God warning us. This is God warning us. This is God who knows everything is warning us. It's kind of like your parents saying, John, don't stick your finger in the light socket. This is God telling us. I think it's God speaking to us today. Be sober. I've been doing this as the, the fireside chats in the morning have been out of 1 Peter. We're gonna, we may get there today. About warnings. This is about the times, the kind of times that we're in. All right. So there are very serious warnings here about not slipping back and getting lazy and beginning to slip back. Remember, Satan is subtle. He doesn't come to you and say, let's throw all this away. No, just, you know, just kind of relax us a little bit. You're tired. You know, you don't need to do this. You know, well, you can. That's how we work with Eve. Then he begins to challenge God's word to you. Well, can you really trust that word? Can you trust that pastor? Can you trust that word? Can you trust that church? He starts planting questions in our mind the moment we start relaxing. And then he challenged her directly. He said, God lied to you. Imagine a woman that used to see God's face, hear his voice, came to the point that she believed God lied to her because she listened to the voice of the adversary and allowed her to, him to lull her into that place. Okay, let's go down to verse um, 32. He says, But recall the former days in which you were illuminated. What he's going to do is he's going to remind them, he's going to encourage them here by telling them what they've already been through. But remember, recall the former days in which you were illuminated when you got saved, and you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Verse 33. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Verse 34. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Stop there. What, what the writer of Hebrews is doing here, what the writer of Hebrews is, is doing here, is he's, he's reminding them to keep on going by reminding them of all the things they've already been through. I've had times where it's not lately where I just, I just, I can't do this anymore. I just, you know. And then I remember, I've come this far. I've fought that many devils to come this far and quit. And that's kind of what the writer, whether it's Paul or whoever it is, is saying to them. Look at all you've been through before. Look at what God's brought you through. Look at the struggles you've overcome. You're going to quit now. So remind yourself, it's good to go back over the things that God has brought you through regularly to remind yourself God was faithful He brought you through this and look at the things you've come through 
Because Satan likes to isolate you. Think you're the only one going through something difficult. And you've never been through this before. Well, you have. Maybe not the details, but you've been through struggles before. We've been through struggles before. And God is faithful. He has brought us through. All right, verse 35. This is where I wanted to get to. Therefore, because of everything he's just said, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Satan is after your confidence. He's after your confidence. It has a great reward. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. My brothers and sisters, there is so much at stake by whether or not we continue strong in the Lord. There's so much at stake for you and me as well as for God's plan in the earth today. Because when this all ends, and it could end sooner than later, but it will all end at some point. Our life will end. Your journey here will end. The, 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 this, this age will end. And we're all going to stand before Him for rewards. Not just rewards, but the Bible teaches us that once God establishes His new kingdom, there are jobs. You're going to work. You're not going to sit on clouds with a harp and eat chocolates all day. Sorry. Maybe you're on your lunch break. But we're going to have responsibilities. And, and your faithfulness. Now, I can show you the scriptures, but we don't have time to. Your faithfulness to do what God's put you here to do, your faithfulness to finish it, will determine the responsibility that you're given the parable of his talents. I'll make you rulers over this, I'll make you rulers over that, based on their faithfulness with what he entrusted to them. Let alone whether God can carry out his work and his will in the earth today. And his work and his will in the earth today and tomorrow and the next day is the souls of men and women at this point are not coming into heaven when they die. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. This is how we do it. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So I overcome by understanding that I must hold on to the hope that's laid before us. And this is something, this is what Satan goes after. He goes after your hope. Because if you have hope, you'll quit. We talked about in the prayer that we just began uh, the, the message with. Talks about people being hopeless. When you're hopeless, you give up. Your, mo- your motivation to continue on gets weaker and weaker and weaker because you don't have a goal. Your hope is the goal that's set before you. It gets what gets these Olympic athletes up at hours you and I might not think of getting up. It's what gets these Olympic athletes to deny their body foods and pleasures that you and I, it's okay for us to do. It's okay for them to do it, but it will cost them in their endeavor. So they have a gold medal in their view. They have a, a prize that they're doing this for, that they're going towards. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul ends that chapter by talking about they did it for a worthless piece of metal. We're doing it for eternal rewards. 
But we have to keep that in front of us. We have to keep that hope in front of us. And, and maybe you've set your hope on things here. And that's okay, but these things here cannot be your ultimate hope. Maybe you set your hope on, oh, I hope they get a vaccine. That gets, if that's your ultimate hope, you may be disappointed. Your hope is then in the hands of men and women using their minds to do something, and your hope is not in God's kingdom, in God's word, in God's plan. Hope is vital, absolutely vital for us to finish strong. So Satan, the first thing he comes after is to try to steal your hope by discouraging you, saying it's never going to work for you. It's never going to work for you. You believe for this, and look at all the people that believe for it, and they didn't make it. And you just thought you were getting somewhere, and now you get your hope up, and now it gets stolen. That's why you can't put your hope in the things of this world. Because when your hope is in the things of this world, your hope is in something that's under the control of the God of this world, and He can give it, and He can take it away. But when your hope is in the unshakable kingdom of God and the promises that God has made you, when your hope is in that, then the devil can't take that away from you because he didn't give it to you, is where the old song goes. All right, so let's go on because this is where it becomes important and we won't probably finish this today. So the hope that we have can only be strong. Let's go down. That ends chapter 10. But chapter 10 moves right into chapter 11, which is the famous chapter on faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what the writer is saying here is that hope can only be held on to. That hope can only become strong as we put our faith in what we've hoped for. So I want to take a moment, we probably won't finish this today, to begin to take this verse apart. And then then we'll have a little more time next time. Such a vital verse on what faith is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Notice hope. Hope is a... By the way, I didn't mention this earlier. Hope in the New Testament is not hope the way most of us mean hope when we talk about hope. When we say, you know, is this, is this, is this thing going to... I hope this ends by the end of the year. What we're really saying is I wish it. I have a strong desire for it. But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a strong, confident expectation that something's going to happen. It, 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 is, it is a positive imagination. It's the ability to see something in your imagination before you can see it in your reality. It's the ability to see something out there and go for it. This is why the athletes motivate themselves. They see the gold medal. They picture it. They'll put pictures all over the place of their house of what it is they're trying to imagine. They're trying to get a positive Im- imagination out there. And so that's what hope is. But hope is always in the future. Hope is a dream. Hope is in your mind. It's in your heart. But it's not here in reality. So it's hard to hold on to. But faith is what gives substance to it. Now let's look at the word substance. The word substance is a Greek word, hypostasis, which literally means, if you take it apart, something that stands up underneath something and holds it up. 
So faith is what stands underneath and props up or holds up this hope. But the word hypostasis, as I studied it out, its origins is, goes back to a medical term. And I don't want to offend anybody, but this is really what it goes back to. Where they found out that they could take medical waste, like urine, and they would let it sit, and a sediment would, over time, would, would just settle down to the bottom, and the, the, the fluid would come to the top. And the word hypostasis was originally used to describe the sediment that settled to the bottom. Well, Pastor, what's that got to do with faith? Here's the point. When you looked at that fluid to begin with, that substance was in there, but you couldn't see it. You couldn't see it until it went to a process of either settling down, or I guess they've got machines now that use centrifugal force to separate out the different parts that are in the fluid. So there are things in that fluid that were there that were substantial, but you couldn't see them, yet they were in there. And so what this means is faith is a substitute. Let's look at it this way. Your senses, the five senses that you have, are designed so that you can determine whether something in this physical realm is real or not. I know that this Bible is really here. You know that it's really here. I have an advantage over you because I not only can see it with my eyes, I can touch it with my hands. But you know it's here because you can see it with your eyes. So your physical senses are giving you tangible verification that this Bible really exists. Everybody follow me so far? And that's the purpose, one of the purposes of your five senses, give you verification of that something is really there. If you've ever gone through, uh, like at Disney World, they had a, a ride where they had these holograms that showed ghosts dancing in the haunted house, you know. It looks like they're there, but it's just an illusion. It's not really there. So one of my senses was being fooled, my sight. But if I got down in that room and tried to touch them, I would know they were not really there. So our senses give us verification that something in this physical realm is really there. But there's another realm out there. It's the spirit realm. And that realm is more real, actually, than this natural realm. But we don't believe that because we can't detect it with our five senses. But John, 5, John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. So God is a real being, more real than you and I are. But He's a being in that spirit realm. So here's the problem. God and the kingdom of God exist in this spirit realm, but the things we're used to, our five senses, to verify whether something's real, don't work in that realm. It's like trying to tune an, a, an FM station in with an AM radio. The, sig- the FM signals are out there, but you can't pick it up because you're not using an FM receiver, you're only using an AM receiver. So this room right now is filled with angels. But we don't know that in the common sense of knowledge because our five physical senses can't detect it. But we use those senses to verify that something's really there. Those of you in this room right now and those I assume of you at home have done that because you sat in that seat. You sat in that seat 
because your senses verified. Thank you, Gary. Your senses just verified my drop. My glasses dropped. Thank you. Your senses verified when he sat down. He sat down with great confidence because his eyes could see that chair was there. So how do we bring that same confidence over to things in a spirit realm that our senses, physical senses, can't verify are there? That's the sense of faith does. Faith provides a verification. Faith provides a substance, a tangibility to things in, a, in the spirit realm that we can't see with our natural senses. So it serves the same purpose. Just as your physical senses provide a basis for confidence that that chair is there and you can sit in it, so the spiritual force of faith, the spiritual sense of faith, provides a confidence that the things that God has promised us that our hope is in are actually really there waiting for us and really going to happen. We're going to end here today so that we can begin here next time and pick up and develop this a little more because I want you to really grasp the simplicity of what faith is and what its role is because you, you use it every day and all we have to do is begin and bring that over and the faith is so important because it's faith in the things we're hoping for that brings them into a reality in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your goodness in our lives, your graciousness, your kindness. We thank you for the promises you've made us, Lord. Your word is filled with promises for today are things you'll do for us, how you'll bring us through things. Your word is full of promises of deliverance and your word is full of marvelous promises of what lies before us. Father, help us through what we're looking at today, help we're looking at this week. Help us to overcome by helping us to lift up our eyes from where we've had them to lift up our eyes from the news of what's going on or not going on. Not to be ignorant of them, but to, to not dwell on them. And help us to hold fast to our confession of the hope that you've set before us. Help us to guard our mouth, guard our tongue, guard our words, Lord, to speak words of hope and encouragement to ourselves and to one another. To help one another continue to see the hope that is set before us. To see that we're in the one who's already overcome all of this. And he is the victory and greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Help us. Help us. Help us. And help us to see more and more how much we need one another. Encouragement. Challenging. Whether it's even material help. Help us to help and to love one another. And Father, for that we give you thanks. Now I ask you to help anyone who's here today or within the sound of my voice or watching online who's not in this kingdom we're talking about this morning, who can't say with a certainty, I know that when my life ends, I know where I'm going. I know I am a child of God. I know, I know that I know that there is a place reserved in me for heaven and there's a glorious reception waiting me. Father, help them to realize that's where they are today and help them to realize the desperate need they have for a Savior. Open the eyes of their understanding that they would see the hope of your calling for their life that's in Christ. For that, we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you're here this morning, 